I knew my work was beginning because the wound was as big as the mother wound and also deeply related, of course, to that because everything is. <laughs> everything goes back to the mother. Everything. <laughs> everything in the world goes back to the mother. But that I've been in this deep death initiation since. It's like even like yesterday we found out my cat's gone. Like, you know, and my week before, the, two weeks before that, the, our family dog, we had to put my family dog down. And my dad, I was burying her with my dad on my grandmother's land. And my dad had had this dog for 13 years. And he's very, like growing up, we called him Dr. Doolittle. Like he, 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 he speaks to animals. He's, mm. That's where his, his feminine comes through and his relationship to the earth and animals, not so much his emotions. Right, right. <laughs> um, but uh, so he's trembling, he's 74, digging this little grave um, and he starts to tell me a story, which I was all ears because he doesn't tell me stories. He was at Yale in the 60s or late 60s, early 70s. And his college professor had been had buried his brother in World War II. I was talking at his college professor. And, and back then, like the stoic masculine, it was like, well, he died for a good cause. So no grieving allowed. Uh, this is a good thing. He served his country. This is how he would have wanted to die, you know, like, and he was like a 25 year old kid. And so the college professor had told this story of, I buried my brother 10 years ago and I was fine. I was fine. And then there's a cat, you know, on this, on the family farm that got injured and they put it, you know, they killed it or, you know, there was something, you know, back also how they used to treat animals, like it's just a cat. And he was tossing this cat over these railroad tracks, you know, the way they did back then. And his whole body shattered open and he fell to his knees because of the death of the cat ripped the wound open of the brother. Mm. He was beside himself for weeks. Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. You know, I wanted to kind of introduce this guest by starting back in 2008 when I had my first Dark Night of the Soul. I realized that it would have been so helpful to know that I was experiencing a rite of passage and that in order to ascend into greater awareness and consciousness, we first have to descend into ourselves, into something that I've often referred to as soul diving. And we have a tendency in this culture to avoid anything that has us face our fears or that hints of darkness or shadow. It's like we run from it versus run toward it. And I think that's such a shame. So, what I was experiencing was a transition, a very natural transition. In other cultures, it's a rite of passage when we do that kind of work. It transitions us from one state of being into another state of being, into a wiser and hopefully more joyous state of being. And so, here I was, you know, in 2008, transitioning from, you know, kind of the wounded maiden into the true mother archetype. And I was changing my life for the better. But at the time, I just didn't know what the hell I was going through and just wanted to die, right? So there's just a way that we just have to normalize these rites of passage and understand that these are parts of the human experience that are necessary if we are to transform our lives and become more conscious and create a new way of being in the world. So when I stumbled upon Sarah's work, 
Sarah Durham Wilson is here today. When I stumbled upon her work, I felt so deeply seen and nourished because this is the work she talks about. So in addition to the fact that she helped me understand my journey at a deeper level, she's also a wealth of information and teachings and stories about the goddess, the divine feminine, the heroine's journey, and she mentors to other women who are on their life path. So what I love most about Sarah is her potent storytelling and her raw authenticity. And and so I hope you love listening as much as I've loved interviewing her. So here's a little bio and background. Sarah Durham Wilson is a women's rights of passage leader and writer. She's the founder and creatrix of the Mother Spirit, which focuses on archetypical mother work and resurrecting the rite of passage from maiden to mother. She's taught courses and led retreats for hundreds of women over the past decade, and she's also worked with private clients. She previously worked as an arts and music writer in New York City, writing for Rolling Stone, VH1, GQ Magazine, Vanity Fair, and also Interview Magazine. In 2010, she launched the website Do It Girl, which provided inspiration for women called into the work of the witch and the priestess. And she lives on Martha's Vineyard with her daughter Avalon and her black cat Odin. Please join me in welcoming Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hi. I have to just get right into it as we do, because last night we did a death ceremony uh, under the full moon. And it was such a privilege. The a crone held space. She had sat with Marion for 20 years, Marion Woodman, and uh, passed the lineage on to me in this. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. Um, and I gave the maiden to mother work to the fire. Wow. And I'm very much naked now. You know, I did it for five years. I built it. But any good mother knows what you have to do with your children right? Yes. Keep them forever. They're the worlds now, you know, I'll always be there. I'll always love them. (laughs) And I, and, uh, but yeah, I, I'm in uh, a completely different place now. Yeah. Because of the made into mother work. Exactly. What I'm hearing is that, you know, that was a completion and this is a new beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so this opens up. Hey, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, my new work. Yeah, let's do it. Heartbreak as a rite of passage. That uh, grief. I am here for that, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm. You know, I can talk about anything you want to talk about, but that's where I am now. Is that we're in a culture that doesn't honor life, so nor does it honor death. And we're in a culture that doesn't honor love and doesn't really know what it is. There's, you know, I, I owe like that, all of that understanding to bell hooks that how can you learn love in a patriarchal household? The patriarchy is the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Patriarchal love is abuse and control. And so, you, you know, just like, you know, you're born into a racist culture and you have to relearn. <laughs> what it is to be human and exercise the racism from you. I'm relearning, or, you know, we're born into a misogynistic culture. We're born into a matricidal culture. And we have to look at all the parts in us. And I was born into a very patriarchal household with a patriarchalized mother and a patriarchalized father. And love was not in the house. So I've had to learn it. Mm-hmm. And because our culture doesn't honor love, when love dies, we're told get to get over someone, get under someone, go out, drink, move on, but never mourn it, never go through the gates. Right. Never sink into the ache. Yep. Never die to it so you can be reborn from it. Mm -hmm. But then women keep falling back into the relationships with the same men in different skin. Because they never processed the true death of the love and didn't take what was good and leave the rest, didn't, yeah, weren't reborn from it. I mean, I'm still in the bones of this new book about it, but that was, you know, I woke up with a a third man that was exactly like the three before him. Mm -hmm. And if I had done the work after the first one, 
I wouldn't have been in bed with the last two, you know, (laughs) but I just wanted the first one back. I know. And so I kept finding him again, but it didn't work for a reason. So I'm, I'm in the, and what it did is this last one, you know, when a, when a man rejects you or leaves you, it feels like a death Mm -hmm. and it is, it is a death. It feels like it is like that. I, when my, the first man and the love of my life left me. So my, yeah, my new work is love. My new work is I'm addicted to learning about mature relational skills and how to really be in love. You know, everyone wants to be in love, but like, how do you really be in it and operate as love in love? And so when the, the love of my life left me and I had all this unprocessed death from my mother who died at 17, I had all this unprocessed grief. I was handed a Xanax at the funeral instead of feel it, cry, mourn, wail. Mm-hmm. Told him there was a timeline on it, you know, and there's no real timeline for grief. Grief is its own beast. It's not linear. It is anybody who's ever really felt real grief knows what I'm talking about. It You never see it coming. You think you're well and then you think you're okay and then it rocks you you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also so beautiful because to grieve means you've loved. Mm -hmm. I'm just starting Francis Weller, you know, learning from him about grief, but he talks about the first gate of grief is that everyone and everything you love, you will lose. And that orients us differently in our relationships. It sure does. Especially with our children. Grief gives you, or death gives you all these beautiful ways to love people. Like you can close your eyes and imagine that somebody you love has already died and you can feel that devastation and sorrow and the regrets that come up too. And you can open your eyes and see they're still there and it changes how you relate to them. There's so much permission and allowing as you're speaking about the culture, right? I always kind of point to the fact that we're taught to live on the surface of life. Yes. You know, and those shallows are like, I always say, like, I can't breathe there. You know, like my soul longs for the depth and the dark. And that's not to say that I don't love the light, but I have to know the dark. It's like what you just said. It's like grief and gratitude can both be in the space that in order sometimes for us to really feel the gratitude, we have to first know the grief. Yes. And it's just such a powerful medicine that gives us that kind of constant flow back and forth into that death and rebirth. Yeah. I mean, we have a culture that is trained to only want the light, to only want the good days, to only want the positive. And when and when you do that, you, it's so unnatural. You look outside of the season, something's always dying while something's always birthing. And we're the same way, you know, a big part of what I'm going through, I got struck by this. I, I'm being told to go back to just finish the story of, so when I got into a relationship with a man, I really deeply loved the only man I've ever loved. And that's been really interesting. Like why I'm writing this book about all the men I've ever been with. And the one I loved was before all this talk about healthy, masculine, safe, masculine. He was that. And after him, that's when the wounding of my maiden really began when I, he left. And then I had this unprocessed grief of my mother. Um, And that's when I had the, it was in the darkest time. It was the darkest time of my life. And he broke my heart so badly, but instead of tending to that, I just shut my heart away. And I started going for these, what we call my old type is apex predator. These six, three weapons, like massive, you know, they hated their mothers. They're angry. They're narcissistic. One was sociopathic, you know, um, and it was my wounded maiden's taste. Mm-hmm. Like she wanted to be destroyed. She wanted, it was like full shadow love, drama and darkness and danger. And before them, uh, it was the healthy masculine, but only something that real could break your heart. All these other 
dramatic lifetime movie things in it, you know, what, and as far as like, you know, I'll, I'll always work with the maiden to mother journey and the, you know, the immature feminine and the mature feminine. So I had come into mother in so many ways, but I was still letting my wounded maiden choose men, mm-hmm. not the mother, mm-hmm. right? So what does the mother need? We could call it a king, but the safe, healthy, protective, not the predatory. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so she needs someone. So then that's like, that's a real level up. And then doing the work of what did work. All these guys didn't work. What worked? The safe, healthy, masculine, you know. Um, and so the terror in that is that works. There's fear in that too. Of course. It's easy to lose a man when you know it. It's, he, he didn't know the real you. He never saw your heart. It's easier, you know, the ego goes through a ton of shit. But what were we saying about, we were talking about something before that, that I was just finishing that story. Well, what it, what it brought up for me. Is- I remembered. <laughs> so, so this last man, which he, when he, when we broke up, it ripped the um, bandaid off of like the volcano of grief mm. in my body. Yes. And I couldn't quite grok what it all meant, but I knew my work was beginning because the wound was as big as the mother wound and also deeply related, of course, to that because everything is, (laughs) everything goes back to the mother, everything, (laughs) everything in the world goes back to the mother. But that I've been in this deep death initiation since it's like, even like yesterday, we found out my cat's gone, like, you know, and my week before the two weeks before that. The, our family dog, we had to put my family dog down and my dad, I was burying her with my dad on my grandmother's land. And my dad had had this dog for 13 years. And he's very like growing up, we called him Dr. Doolittle. Like he, 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 he speaks to animals. He's mm. that's where his, his feminine comes through and his relationship to the earth and animals, not so much his emotions. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but uh, so he's trembling He's 74 digging this, digging this little grave um, and he starts to tell me a story, which I was all ears because he doesn't tell me stories. He was at Yale in the 60s or late 60s, early 70s. And his college professor had been, had buried his brother in World War II. I was talking at his college professor and, and back then like the stoic masculine, it was like, well, he, Died for a good cause, so no grieving allowed. Uh, this is a good thing. He served his country. This is how he would have wanted to die, you know, like, and he was like a 25-year-old kid. And so the college professor had told this story of, I buried my brother 10 years ago, and I was fine. I was fine. And then there's a cat, you know, on, this, on the family farm that got injured and they put it, you know, they killed it or, you know, there was something, you know, back also how they used to treat animals. Like it's just a cat. And he was tossing this cat over these railroad tracks, you know, the way they did back then. And his whole body shattered open and he fell to his knees because of the death of the cat ripped the wound open of the brother. Mm. He was beside himself for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was waiting. It was waiting. <sighs> This guy Nick. Oh, he. It wasn't about Nick. It wasn't about the cat. It was about the grief. Yeah, grief was like anything. Like I, I'm, I'm so boiled and boiling under the surface. Anything will rip me open. Yes, and that's what this last man did. And I am completely stopped in my tracks doing all the, the archaeological digs. <laughs> You know, and there's so many ghosts in there and stories that I never looked at and and lessons and wisdom and medicine in this process. I would never have chosen it. It chose me as all our work does, Mm -hmm. but it's time. It is time. And it's so beautiful, Sarah. Like I, I know that I had for some reason, right? Like we spoke literally initially the day after this event had happened. Yeah. And you were kind of like heading into a descent, I think. Yes. yes. I was into, you know, also the grief stages really work in, lo- in in a breakup. So I was in denial and I was going into bargaining. Yeah. For sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love the imagery too of the ghosts because I have such a similar experience. 
And, you know, that portal into all of those unexamined, unwitnessed, unexplored stories that hold those ghosts that sit there waiting for us to witness and acknowledge and bless them so that they can actually leave us, so they can stop haunting us. Exactly. But it, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to just sit in that fire, sit in that ache, sit in that pain and just be with it, just witness it. And this is where, you know, the inner mother in me started to awaken where I had never had a mother that could model that for me. It was starting to understand what true self-love was in that moment. Because we go back to kind of this idea of love and our sickness in the patriarchy is that we call it love and it's not love. True love is when we allow that it all gets to belong here. And it's just this understanding that we get to love ourselves and others, warts and all. Yeah. I mean, I had a psychic once on the phone say, it was one of those psychics with like no bedside manner. And like, you know, it's just like, if you're going to be telling me like terribly hard truths, can I have some honey with it? No? Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. Like straight no chaser. No, yeah, no spoonful of sugar here. Yeah, no, no mothering, no Mm-mm. And I was talking to her about as I've done for thirteen years because I never processed my ex fiance. I did in the Maiden to Mother book some, but it's really going down in this new book. Really going down. I'm sure it's no accident. Yeah, after the Maiden to Mother book, I I was like, I'm all set with writing about you. Like, don't worry. And then like. You know, as soon as the stuff with Nick, the only way out was through this, obviously, like so pen as sword in hand, fucking what the fuck is in this cave? Let's mm-hmm, go. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, every morning for two weeks, I haven't done it since my since my awakening 11 years ago, as I added my old pen name was Do It Girl. And I would just write every morning to like breathe. Yes. And so it was, it reminded me of like this movie Quills with Kate Winslet and I forget, but the, it's about the Marquis de Sade and you mm-hmm. like take away his pen in prison and he'll just cut himself for blood and write on the walls with his fingers. Like I would have done that to write. Yes. You know, that, that way to know yourself, that way to kind of really go into it. Oh, way to hear yourself, way to fucking it's self-surgery. It's like tumors, tumors, tumors. And so that's how I was when Nick left. And there was a part of me that was like literally writing to survive because it wasn't about Nick. It was like, how did this fucking happen again? No coach was going to help me. No book, no, nobody on fucking Instagram. (laughs) Like I, you know, that's the maiden of mother work. There's nobody coming. It's me and this sword, and my darkness. It's so great that you're saying this, because I was just writing about this. It's like, there's no handsome prince coming to rescue. There's no rescue in sight. It's like, you're, the buck stops here. No, you're coming. Exactly. You're coming to rescue you. Yeah, no, I'm the man that's coming to save me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the knight. I'm also that's the right. dragon. That's you right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's such a, and that for me, I don't know if you've seen the logo, but it's, it's a butterfly, but it's really two faces looking at each other. So when you really look at it, like that was my experience of finally coming face to face with my savior. Yeah. Right. And that was me. Of course. And understanding, you know, finally it was like, oh, that's, that's the grace in grief. That's the grace in grief. Yeah. And they're bedmates. You know, if you have, if you're grief, if you, and that's the thing, we're so afraid of grief, but if you go there, you'll meet grace as well. And you're also searching for that. We're always searching for grace and it finds us when we do the work. And yeah, there were two weeks of mornings where I put Ava in front of Doc McStuffins. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, mommy has to do this. I love you. Thank you for letting me do this. And she got it. Like she'd be at my feet and I'd be standing up at this old desk at our grandmother's land where I was with no internet for three weeks. Thank goddess. Mm -hmm. Nothing to distract me from the pain. Mm -hmm. 
which, you know, Instagram is the first thing, you know, or buying pants on Poshmark or who is, who's Kim Kardashian dating now? Like, right. Like all the ways that we can just medicate uh-huh. anesthetize. And I would stand at this desk and I sent this woman from New York who just happened to no accident, you know, I was like, I need help. I, because I, I can't send them via email. I don't have email. I'm like, I just am scrawling and it felt so good when I was angry. You know, it was just like, it was like, it was like a potter, mm-hmm. like that tangible writing. It wasn't, oh, uh, uh, you know, like it was just, and like, yeah, I was like, I could feel it myself creating it, you know? And I was like, what is happening? I'm writing about grief. I'm writing about being fucked like someone's fracking the earth. Like they don't give, you know, like mm-hmm. they're fracking. They're not a mother lover. They're a motherfucker, you know? Yes. Like, all these fucking, you know, domestic terrorists in my bed. And like, just, I, I was like, how can I be a woman of the goddess and a woman of the earth and three abusive men in a row, you know, that hated their mothers and hated women? Mm-hmm. What and do is just doing the work. What's mine? What's mine? What's mine? This is not an accident. There's three in a row. It's Carolyn Casey, the sunset effect. There's a pattern here and it's glaring. So I'm going to sit and watch it go <laughs> like I am done. Yep, the whole <laughs> sunset pattern. I had to see the pattern or else I could say it was coincidence that. You know, it was, and I just, and then one day I came and it was like, I could take a break, but I had all of that pain is in there. So there's this one day I was like, I need someone's help. And I've gotten good in mother with, you know, you get to the place where you are asking for help becomes like breathing. Otherwise you will, but you know, you learn and there's such reciprocity Mm -hmm. because when you ask someone to give, then they give, I don't, then they get to give. And then, then you get to give back to them and this beautiful you know, mother ecosystem that just like nature all depends on each other. You mm-hmm, know? Totally. But of the maiden, you know, we're very solitary, we're pushing up. It's about all about us pushing up for that dark earth, totally have the butt on. But when you open into mother, you are part of the, the you know, you're a part of the ecosystem. Like you are, the bee comes, the pollen, it spreads your femininity you know your feminine energy around and like you are part of everything but in maiden you're not but that's why the relational work in mother is so urgent how to relate is just in love and it's that also it's that village consciousness that's needed so badly it's you know joanna macy one of our great elders talks about how the only hope for our humanity and our our civilization the earth itself is if we, not even the earth she'll be fine i hope without us but if we are to survive this it's to come back into community and we know that deeply we all long for it and i'm actually in it this summer and it is everything I could have wanted. It is a shattering of the ego. It is the shattering of the isolation. It is being just part of a, you know, a part of community being back in communion. It's a reunion with like, we're all one family, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a kid has a wolf pack, you know, I'm a single mother. So for that, it's like, but so people do all these, you know, intentional communities and something like 60% to 70% of them combust in the first three years because of the isolationist patriarchal consciousness, right? Every man or woman for itself, no one knows how to relate no, maturely. They don't have, uh, you know, relational skills, no relational skills, no conflict skills, no communication skills. They don't know how to share. They hoard, they, you know, it's, and so it's, it's a big piece of the mother work for me is the relational skills because we need the village again right to survive right and so before we go back into the village we have to have practiced the village consciousness so true something i've been doing for three years now mostly virtually because of the COVID isolated us even more but i had these women friends i called i chose three three years ago and said i'm going to practice mature relating which this wonderful crone last night, just the term safe sisterhood. I'm going to practice safe sisterhood with mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. instead of the wounded maiden, the distrust. Right. All of the ways that we were raised to socialize. 
So I've been practicing for three years and now I'm in it and the practice is paying off. It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? When you start to really recognize. And it's also what you're bringing up for me is, again, I say like, say yes to the mess, like all of it. Because there's this way too that like those messy coexisting things, it's like when we really get that it all gets to belong there and also start to understand how to own and clean up our own messes so we're not projecting or gaslighting or like where we can actually practice that transparency. You brought up something really interesting, the gaslighting. You know, this is a narcissistic culture, uh, which is a big reason I'm off social media, like... I think people are prone to that because our culture has said success is basically being a narcissist, like thousands, millions of pictures of you, millions of likes. It's all about you. It's your brand. You know, you know, you have to be more important than everyone to, to be successful. And when I am not mothering myself, when my wounded maiden is going unattended to, unloved, unseen, unheard, she will hijack and use social media for the validation and approval. Yeah. And I will be like, why is my nervous system so fucked up? Why am I so tripped up? Why am I so reactive? Why am I so insecure? And it's because I am looking for it on the outside unconsciously. Yes. So there's always, and then the people are always going to be conditional. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hooked into the conditional love of strangers. Yes. And that's where the narcissism can, you know, can, can brew even with, even you're like, I'm a good person, blah, blah, blah. But, and so when you're mothering her, I love you. I see you. You don't need anybody else to tell you that you are perfect as you are. You need not do anything, dance, perform, be seen, anything for my love. Then that, you know, the, the, so that split I had between the persona and the person can heal. Yes. And And so that's also where I am. What pieces of myself as a leader are still patriarchal. And for me, the the whole social media thing is it's patriarchal. Yes. I know that we met through it and there's ways to use it so it doesn't use you. And I'm still in that school. Me too. Do that. Me too. I think, you know, I think anybody who is consciously doing this work is is struggling to decolonize the way that we participate in the world. Absolutely. You know, it's it's no joke, right? It's really like when I talk about the trance or we talk about the matrix or the like these are what we're talking about is kind of the disentanglement of the behavior and the survival mechanisms that are so hardwired into kind of how we protect and engage. Absolutely. So if I could give everyone community in nature, that's the quickest way out. Mm -hmm. The goddess is off grid. And she's in community and she shows up where people come together. Women sit in circle. The children play together. For me, that's my path to out getting out of, to depatriarchalizing myself for the rest of my life will be community in nature. Well, and what you're pointing to is that it is an ongoing practice. Like we have to find these ways to continue unbecoming. I love that expression because the unbecoming, you know, we're told like it's not becoming for a lady to do these things or these things. And it's like, I'm so done with that. Yeah. And I want to go back to something you said too, because I loved it so much. You talked about the invalidation and rejection out there from these past, like in in this past relationship, that that became this way. And, And what one of my biggest things was kind of recognizing that on top of the invalidation, the abandonment, the rejection in the presence of my full self-expression, like mean what when I took off the lid of who I really was and dared to show it, that that somehow revealed then how I was unacceptable. I was not enough or I was too much. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing for me was that layer deeper, which was on top of the invalidation and rejection out there was the invalidation and rejection of myself to myself. And then the rewounding and the reabandoning of myself every time that would happen in my life. Mm. 
until I got into that chasm. And in my case, it was like nine months in bed in a deep, dark depression into a descent where I just finally was able to like see. And we talk about going back, going out in nature. And for me, that's about like getting still, getting quiet, getting into the rhythms of the great goddess to understand how this all works. Yeah. And how to come back home to myself. Yeah. And how to take the armoring off of my heart and actually use it as the doorway back home to myself. Yeah. Yeah. So for me that, you know, the the abandonment of myself, I mean, I was just writing about the, uh, just to to finish like I I got I I went to the public library and was told, "Okay, you can as far as like the pages of this book I was writing, okay, you can post on Instagram just to ask for someone to be able to text them these pictures of the writing and they can transcribe them. And I'm like, who's going to do that for free? Like right now, like my, my latest program was that whenever I need to go to my, what my mentor calls my, my bleeding edge and do something new and different. I'm not going to like, this isn't going to, you know, it's not, it's not going to make what the well-worn programs make it. We broke even for the summer. So I didn't have money to pay someone, you know, and I also refuse to just do what I've always done. And the goddess won't even let me. So I, I, I posted, you know, I need somebody to transcribe these pages on grief and heartbreak. And I had it up for one minute, just a minute sitting at the library. Like I literally got a DM. I was like, and this is a woman who's, I knew back in my rock and roll days in New York, she was at, remember Blender Magazine? Kind of. I mean, it was a, you know, it was like, it was the dirtier Rolling Stone. It was, they were like, they were published by the people who published Maxim. Right. It was like a frat boys rock and roll magazine. Like I'm kind of seeing like Nirvana on the cover of that for some reason, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nirvana maybe would have done it. Like they wouldn't have done, I'm, this is the old editor in me, like mm, they probably, they didn't do a photo shoot for them, but they still got them on the cover. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess because Kurt Cobain, like the one time he was on the cover of Rolling Stone, remember corporate magazines still suck. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh my God. God bless him. But I worked at Rolling Stone, but anyway. <laughs> so cool. Um, I was pretty fucking cool. I wish I'd known it back then. And well, right. Hindsight's always 2020. Like I was so fucking cool. Yeah. I am fucking cool. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so she had worked at Blender, but a bunch of the big other magazines too. And we'd partied in the same circles. And then I heard that uh, she got cancer mm. when we moved out. You know, we had similar friends and oh, Cindy's going through through breast cancer and it's pretty touch and go. Mm-hmm. And I had connected with her at that time, but I was still in maiden. So I wound, deeply wounded maiden. So I had no idea how to hold space for anybody or show up for anybody because I couldn't do it for my fucking self, which is why the patriarchy wants to keep us in wounded maiden because we're fucking helpless. Mm-hmm. I, I heard she survived it. And then I heard she lost her brother and her father within two years after that. So this woman saw I'm writing about grief and as a rite of passage. And she wrote, I'm supposed to, she goes, I've been on an Instagram break for four months. I was told to get on right now. I saw that. This is mine. Please take it down. Hair all standing up on my, yeah. She's like, I know a, two, a thing or two, but I don't have the tools. Cause she, you know, she, and, um, and there's, this book's full of tools, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rituals, meditations, you know, ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And then I got, I, my, my assistant called me. I, and so I, so I went, I took it off. So it had officially been up for four minutes. My assistant called me. She goes, why is everyone writing about, why is everyone writing to me about some book that I hadn't even told her about because I'd been. Oh my God. Yeah. Writing it so hard and fast that I hadn't even said, oh, I'm writing a new book. And uh, she said, we have 10 people in four minutes. Who are volunteering. <sighs> I just went through this. I just lost this. I just went through a breakup. I just, you know, everyone's, and I was like, tell them all, thank you, but we have someone. And now everywhere I go, they're like, what are you working on? I'm saying grief, uh, heartbreak as a rite of passage, you know, the heartbreaks a true grief and needs to be happy, ritualized and ceremonialized and all this. And everyone's like, when you, in the minute you finish it, 
can you send it to me? Can you send it to my sister? Can you? My gosh. And even Maiden to Mother wasn't like that. I even knew I called Jamie, my beloved Sounds True publisher. I said, have something. And I know we haven't put Maiden to Mother out. I know it comes out next winter, but I already have something and I'm going to send it to you. And she was like, uh, okay, you know, but it's, it's urgent. Yeah. There's an urgency. I think you're right. There is an urgency. It's like, you know how I was talking before about not being able to breathe in the shadow or at the shallows. It's like, you're like, I love the shadows, right? Well, that's where I can breathe, right? Like I can breathe in the shadows. I can breathe in the deep end. It's like people are dying to breathe. Yeah. We're starving for somebody to like speak to our grief, to help us to be, to feel seen in it. And it's that paradox of like, we can't heal it until we feel it and reveal it. Like there's just what gets revealed gets healed. And people are just so in the dark when it comes to how to be with it. Yeah. And so there's, there is an urgency because I think the more people have had this time to pause, the more they're activated in, in being invited to be with it. Yeah. Yeah. So Cindy, you know, she typed out every single page and without the instant gratification of posting about it on social media or giving like a line or two, you know, get that dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. Just my inner mother going, this is really good, baby. Keep going. This is really good, baby. Keep going. My validation. Yeah. And so I had nobody but Cindy had seen it. And for someone like me with such a deep mother wound that had to be seen in every room and validated in every room, to just keep it so sacred and private, as this is my devotion to my private life now and my private relationships. So Jessica, our mutual friend now, mm -hmm. my editor for Sounds True, the book for Sounds True, she's like, I need some lines about, because we do this part about patriarchalized uninitiated men. And she said, I need some examples. And I'm like, oh, I got a lot of examples in this new thing I'm working on. Plenty. She goes, can I just go in there? And I had no Wi-Fi. I couldn't. I was like, you can go look at it. You can. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what's in there because I wrote it in such a, you know, you use the word trance, but Marion Woodman actually says that we, you know, we say mantra over and over again or prayer to go into trance, which brings transformation. You yes, know? The, yes. The trance of this book was, it was trance-like for transformation, right? So I was like, I don't even know what I wrote. I was in a trance, but you can go in. Yeah, and that that's the kind of trance channel, right? Whatever that is, you know, different from kind of that other way that I use the word trance. So they're sleepwalking. Yeah, right. It's the sleepwalking aspect. And it's interesting, right? Like I've actually been reading the way of the rose. Yeah. And learning too about the rosary as you know, and it's so interesting when you start opening the history of the rosary and the and it goes all the way back to Isis, actually, and being a portal back home to the earth. And it was never meant as a tool for Christianity. Right. They took all the tools of the goddess. All the tools of the goddess. And again, like these are the pieces I'm reclaiming in my own, but that actually the rosary is a way to go into that trance in a good way, into the transformation because of the repetitive nature of the prayers in the beads and the mysteries and delving and diving into the mysteries, into those just, you know, rites of passage that we all have and looking more at the story of Jesus as an allegory right? versus kind of this literal event, again, that has, you know, really just... Well, I won't go there, but what I will say is that the patriarchy in general and all the ways that religion has, you know, patriarchal religions, and I'm going to assert that they all are, you know, have just really, when you really start to dig deep enough, you start to realize that the very institutions that say that they're there to help you actualize your spirituality, it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, like, it's that gaslighting from the outside in, and it makes us friggin' crazy. 
Mm-hmm. And so this reclamation, this ability, you know, again, it's like that every man for himself out there, but to actually recognize that these archetypes, the mother, the maiden, the crone, that all of these are rites of passage from within that actually I do need to do an individual journey out there so that I can co-create and, and be in part of a community commune out there. That that's that essential piece that keeps kind of just deepening in me now. And, you know, Lynn Twist talks about, you know, instead of a you or me world, it's a you and me world. But first, the healing has to happen here. Yeah, you know, I love Lynn. Um, (laughs) I know. uh, Perdita Finn. Yes. One half of Clark and Mm -hmm. Perdita. She was the first midwife of the Maiden and Mother book. She, I sent it to her when I was just drowning. And she like patched and spiderwebbed a lot of that book before it went to Jessica. So it's funny that I get everyone mentions that book to me because, but my mother wound got so activated with Perdita. It was already activated from Jessica. This was all my unconscious shit. It had nothing to do with Jessica or Perdita, but it's like, I think it was when Marion was writing dancing in the flames that she said, you know, halfway through, I met my death mother and I was like, I, through this book, of course, I am going to have to heal, you know, the voice of the deaf mother within. And I had to heal my mother when halfway through the book, I was projecting it all onto them and feeling rejected and abandoned by them, by everything they said. It was so raw and tender for me. Mm. You're rejecting me. You're telling me that you think I suck. Everything Jessica said, she would say 10% positive and then there'd be like, change this. I could own my negativity bias that that kept me alive as a kid. You know, where's the danger? Mm -hmm. You know, because no one was protecting me. So I'd go to the, that one thing and be like, Jessica hates me. Jessica hates the book. And then I said, and I was like, I need a break from Jessica's help. I'm going to Perdita. Perdita is going to love me and tell me I'm perfect. And then Perdita and I would like hit rough patches and I would go into it. I would go into it. And then she actually did like, I was like, can you help me with this chapter? And she had completed her contract and she pushed me out of the nest and was like, you don't need me anymore. And I wanted to stay with her. It was all like a fucking ride. And then I was like, the mom abandoned me. She abandoned me, you know? And she's like, I'm not your mother. You are your mother, you know? Yeah. The whole crux of this book oh. for the mother. Right. But it was like, it's, it's like right there. It's always right there. Child. Yeah. Of course, I'm, I'm sitting here kind of like in awe and also like, of course, but I just want to tell you this quick story because I had interviewed Sophie Strand not knowing. I had downloaded the book, The Way of the Rose, and obviously had no idea that you had a relationship either. But I just find, again, like all of these webs interconnect. And I had interviewed Sophie because I had been following her writing on Facebook, and I'm just like, who is this young woman who writes like this? And I think like literally three days after I had interviewed her, I was finally listening to The Way of the Rose in audiobook, and they keep talking about their daughter, Sophie, and suddenly like I'm like, wait a minute, and it, I'm putting that together. So of course, now I'm talking to you about it, and you're like, oh, yeah, so amazing. Yeah, yeah. It really is. So yeah, it's it. this whole, you know, oh, journey, wait, right? Wait. Yeah, go ahead. Then Jessica, yeah. who I'm now deeply devoted to and- super close to because it was my stuff, you know, and she saved my ass with this book because it became like my friend says, every time you went to write, it felt like you were in like this medieval bloodletting chamber, like torture chamber. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, there's nothing left. There's no blood left. Like I did it. And I was like, and then sounds true needed all these extra edits, which to make it perfect because that's their standards and awesome, but I couldn't go on. So, and I said, Jess, you know, they said, you can have Jessica. And I was like, she'll take me back. She'll, she'll, and they were like, she loves you. She loves this book. And I was like, what? Because the wounded maiden only heard her story. Right. And then I took the space in there and Jess was like, I love this book. I love you. And like, it's been 
so beautiful and it's just so healing. So anyway, Jess was like, I need some stuff about men. And I was like, I got some stuff about men. <laughs> In fact, that's my next work is men, you know? And yeah. she went in and she just texted me, Sarah, this is fucking riveting. This is fucking powerful. And I was like, so the point was, I went with my intuition, intuition, intuition. This is good. This is necessary. This is needed. And I'm not going to ask anybody for their validation. I'm going to go with this, you know, these, 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 like I was down in the underworld, like so hardcore, but there were these little moments of light and I could see the writing on the wall that this was the way mm-hmm. I was like, I'm trusting. And then for Jess, who's the, I, I call her the best ghostwriter in the world. That's what I call her. For her to look at that and an edit impeccable editor like Jamie at Sounds True will trust Jess with anything and for her to say that I was like I didn't ask for that validation but I got it after I had validated it and that was the point and that's what I'm really hearing is that you didn't abandon yourself not for a minute and it it kind of like showed it was so solid mm-hmm. and riveting as she said so like that just. There's nothing that feels better than that. No. Your own love, nothing feels better than your own. Nothing feels better than that. It's so, so true. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, here we've been on the holy mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm wondering for our listeners who, you know, may have some understanding of archetypes as a way to really start to remember the truth of who we are. Mm-hmm. I'm also really hearing that these archetypes have been life-saving and essential. And and there is a part of me that believes that that is true for all women. There's the hero's journey, and then there's the heroine's journey, and they're very different journeys. And our journey as women is a journey back to wholeness. Mm-hmm. And it's it's our own, it's a solitary journey. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question to you is, what do you want to say to our listeners about really embarking on this work in a deeper way? In a healing way. The maiden mother work or the grief work? You can just take that however you wish. I think both lead to each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it all goes back to building an inner mother. It all goes back to once you can, you know, I always, so I always start with the story that, you know, of Eckhart Tolle being in a suicidal place, which I was in in at the end of my Saturn return and is still in these times in this world. I I said last night, there's many times I want to leave, but I stay for my daughter, but I want to stay for more. But she helped, she tethered me here. And he had this moment where he was sitting on a park bench and he heard him, he heard himself say, I want to die. And in that moment, he realized he witnessed a voice saying, I want to die, that he, that he was the witness of that voice. If he could hear himself saying that there was something listening to him. And for me, the most, the reason that story is so important is because when we learn to listen to our maiden, to our inner little girl, that means the mother is listening and we can learn to witness and discern that that's a little girl in me. And I can, and as soon as we learn how to take care of her, we are in mother. So the split between the little girl, the wounded little girl and us is very important. So that's where like when I talk about like healing the split between my persona and my person, this is actually creating the split between the wounded maiden and the mother. So learning to recognize that's my wounded maiden and I need to and my tools that I that I give you in my book and my courses are how to help her, how to heal her, how to hold her, how to take care of her. And so that practice for me is coming back into that seat of mother for for ourselves and then therefore for our, for the community is you know it was given to me by the goddess it's not mine but it is the it is the essential for our maturity mm-hmm. um, and the maturity 
sounds like a bad word, like growing up to Peter Pan, like I won't grow up. I don't want to maturity. Mm-hmm. Is awesome. You're sovereign. Yeah. You're, you have deep self-care. You are a steward of the earth, a capable member of the community. You are self-actualized. You're in your gifts. You're, you're in your authenticity, you know? So it is you know, there. I quote this Taylor Swift line from the last record. I don't, I'm not a Swift fan, but I, I heard this driving and she goes, I never grew up. It was getting so old. Mm. So it's not about getting old. It's about ripening. Yes. And becoming an offering. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I also think about it as that maturity as as wisdom, right? As as that 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 moment when you are fully embodied with the divine feminine. Yeah. That you are, you know, that there's a wholeness there and whatever isn't whole, there's a holistic approach mm-hmm. to being with it, if that makes sense. Yes. You said something earlier about tenderness and or being with the ache, being with the ache. And for me, we think about what bravery is, what strength, and there's all these patriarchalized versions of what that looks like. But for me, the bravest thing we can do as humans is feel our feelings, you know? That's so true. And without the tools, there are actually, you actually need tools to feel them. And that's how dissociated we've become from our humanity is that we don't know how to feel. And that's right. And so the work is to feel and to care, tend to one's own feelings like children. Mm-hmm. I'm, what do you need? I'm here. How can I yes. serve? What do you want to yes. tell me? Yeah. I have a similar, I can really relate to what you said about your daughter being the tether. My daughter was and is that, that, precious uh, teacher in my life who really taught me how to love myself because and and there's this way that when we have a child yeah. and even when we don't when we have this opportunity to really love someone in such a way that we would do anything to to show them our love to tend to them in their time of need without fixing it that you know, there's, there's that moment where I finally, because that inner child work felt so, I felt so much disdain in even kind of um, having that conversation. Like it literally would make my skin crawl just as the word goddess did for so long. And I didn't realize the inner misogyny that I had internalized from living in such, you know, and again, I love that quote, like, I don't think, you know, fish knew that they were exactly existing in water. It, I could not see the construct in which I had been, you know, raised and conditioned inside of. So again, that inner child work is such a huge part of coming into the mother, as you had said, and then really recognizing that part of the work of the inner child is that work of grief. Yeah. Letting her feel her feelings. Letting her friggin' have her feelings, no matter how messy they are. Yeah. So this has been such a beautiful conversation, Sarah. Is there anything else that you would like to reveal or share or that you feel is here? No. (laughs) This person I've spoken to where I'm not the made into mother woman. It's all in me, but just being able to talk to you about my new work was it. That was really nice for me. Thank you. Yeah, it was really beautiful to hear about, and what a journey, and and more to be revealed, right? Yes. <laughs> so thank you. I'm just like in awe. It's been an honor. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stand here until she's ready. And because, yeah, and I know. I would have been in like a library parking lot and like kids running, you know, like I I hadn't landed. I haven't landed for, I've been moving for a month. So, yeah. Well, again, I'm just like so glad because my deep, deep sense in just being a witness to your work has been how much you have to say and offer for other women to really oh. heal. So I love, 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 and I'm a huge fan. 
of you and your work. I know Jess is really excited to work with you. So I'm so excited for what you're going to offer the world. I know you're already offering, but in this tome of yours. So yes, yes. Well, and don't think that I didn't listen to what you were saying about having to, you know, heal as you were writing that I'm like, no, yes, no, yes. Right. So here I go. (laughs) Here you go. You have your sword in your hand. That's all you have. Yeah, my pen. Okay, got it. All right. Well, to our listeners, we'll be sure to have Sarah's information in the show notes. And you can, of course, find her and catch a glimpse on her maybe over time in social media. And of course, be able to get her books when they're out, which is going to be soon, soon enough, or just on time, right on time. Yeah, divine timing. Yeah. And so until next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.